This episode is brought to you by Dream Symbols. Dream is starting what they're calling the Dream Hang, and the first event is going to be February 9th at Fame Studio in Muscle Shoals, Alabama. So what they're doing is going to bring a bunch of symbols down to the studio. They're going to have Scott Pellegrum there. He's going to be demoing. They've got Telefunk and Mike's as a partner for these events. So February 9th at the Fame Studio in Muscle Shoals, Alabama. If you're in the area, you should definitely go down, hang out for the Dream Hang. Check out Dream's Facebook page for the event info again that's february 9th the dream hang at fame studio in muscle shoals let's get this show rolling whoa welcome back from nam yeah it's been a week i can't believe it i feel like i was just there (laughs) i know it is so awkward when you and I are in the same room together. <laughs> like we do not know how to talk to each other. <laughs> Without being separated by a screen, you and I do not know how to talk to each other. But we've also, you know what I was thinking? You and I have never once ever been alone anywhere. We've only been in groups. That's true. I, you know, so it's kind of an awkward social situation already. Yeah. Yeah, it's weird. I mean, yeah, especially group with people that I see once a year and you want to be like, hey, right. how you doing? How you doing? How you doing? Hugs and germs and everyone. Let's... <laughs> Hugs and germs. That's our new shirt. Hugs and germs. Mike and Mike. Speaking of which, I did not get a knock on wood, not a tinge of any kind of Nam hangover whatsoever. Oh, congrats. Me either, man. The, uh, I, I, mine obviously due to how little I was there, but I, I don't know what it's got to be like for A&Rs because A&Rs, they are the destination for every young drummer yeah. to make it to them to be like, hi. My name's Bob. I want free stuff. Here's all my so, slobber. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I did have one. I met. Um, I saw Near Z just kind of walking through the the hall, just surprising, and he was had the artist that he's been playing with with him. Okay. And and you know I hugged Near of course, and then I went to shake her hand, and she's like, "Oh, I'm not feeling well, so I'm not going to shake your hand." So I you know gave her an elbow bump. But then that was very nice of her. Later, I saw I hung out with them at Starbucks, and she wasn't sick. That was just her strategy for not having people touch her. Nice. So once okay. you know once we were more of like, "Oh, okay, you're not a total weirdo. I can shake your now, hand, <laughs> get even even a hug in." <laughs> yeah. I got gotcha. you. Well, Very yeah, I, I felt like it was a good. I didn't get as many clammy hands this year. It, it felt like in years past, and I don't think it's. I don't think it's just that the guys are nervous or the girls are nervous. I think what it is is it's that difference in temperature from outside Los Angeles into the convention center. Yeah. People's bodies just react weird, and they come up and like like they give me that like slap where I'm like, "God, dag nabbit, what is that sound?" So I, I felt like I got a good. I just want to let you know if you met me at Nam and you and you gave me a little five or a hug, I want you guys to know you guys had really dry hands and I appreciate it. I didn't get sick. Thank you very much. Yeah, it was good I, times. I also went to bed super early. I, I made a point to not uh, let jet lag change my my rhythm, so I got up early and went to bed early every night. So that, I think all nice, of that, man. you know, I don't. I don't feel like I missed out on the craziness after 10 p.m. I'm, I'm okay right. with it because I didn't get sick. <laughs> I also learned a, a strategy to enjoying Nam. I mean, if you're not going there to work, if you're going there to attend, and that's to bring a first-timer with you. I mm. brought my buddy Lou Montuli, oh, right. and watching Nam through his eyes made me excited, too. Like, let's go over here, and let's check this out. And, uh, you know, and then I, I it, it was really cool just to have that energy around. And... 
when Nam was over, he's like, all right, are we going to go see Carter play? And I was like, no, we're not going to go see. No, I'm done. I, I want to, you know how excited I am about this hotel room? I'm going to go sleep. This is amazing. No dogs, no wife, no nothing. I'm going to sleep. And he was like, heck no, we're going out. And I was like, yeah. Ugh. And sure enough, we got there. Luckily, I ran into Rich Redmond right before walking in, and he gave us the heads up that we were attending the Canadian Appreciation Convention, right. which I did not know about. He's like, hey, heads up. This is not for y'all. And so that was cool. And by the way, what was awesome about seeing Rich, so we see him, we bump into him. I haven't seen him in a while. We're talking for a little bit. He goes on, and Lou is like, I thought you were positive. Uh, that guy's on fire. I'm like, yeah. oh yeah, that dude's a ball of happiness. He's in a like. I love Rich's energy, especially if you're just wearing down at the end of the day. Yeah. Get two minutes in with Rich, and it's a five hour energy drink. That's true. He's going in. I saw uh, him. So, uh, he was hanging out at the. You know, again, the, the cool part about Nam, and also the frustrating part, is you you can't actually organize meetings. It's just like, oh, there he is right. over there, and I run. So I saw Rich was posing next to his. Uh, blown up photo at the Remo booth and it was just perfect I mean he was doing like the same pose of his photo oh no he's so good at it he's so good at just he's you know he's what, pretty what awesome, is the uh, the British term taking a piss out of himself <laughs> right yeah yeah he's a good dude man I, I, it was good to run into him and then you know it was cool and I, I was talking to Carter about this the other day but it was great and by the way for any new podcast listeners we're talking about seeing Carter McLean play with uh, uh, guitarist extraordinaire who I talked to <laughs> and he's Hunter. really good Charlie Hunter good at the guitar um, and so anyways we went to see them but what I really liked about that is it wasn't a drum hang if yeah. you and I were at the Sabian party, I would you know, or I don't know if they still do that, but I remember I used to go to Sabian Live or whatever. Mm-hmm. It was two thousand drummers, yeah, and it was rad. But just like you said, you can't really talk to anybody because everyone's there, and it's it's just so much chaos. The fact that you, me, Lou, Carter, uh, Rich Stitzel got to just hang mm-hmm. a little bit and have some conversation, I thought that was great, man. Yeah. Yeah, it was definitely it was, cool. Now, so I don't know if anyone listening is a sound technician and might work trade shows. That show was too freaking loud, dude. Yeah. It was so loud. I was like, Carter's yeah, up there Carter, playing as light as he can, and my ears are bleeding. <laughs> he, w- I think he was kind of bummed just about that in general because uh, he's like, no, nah, man, I'm good. I don't need any mics. And he oh, yeah. said the sound guy was like, I'm miking your snare drum. <laughs> I was like, all right. And that's it. I'm telling you all right now, there is no level you can get to unless you're Dave Weckl where it doesn't still happen to you. It does not oh, yeah. matter how good you are at the drums. The sound guy will always be the sound guy. And, you just, and you're at his or her mercy. So it's like, all right. It is what it is. Let's go in. But I, it was. It's funny. That was my first time ever seeing Carter play live uh, in mm-hmm. a band. I mean, mm-hmm. I've seen him. You know, we've done clinics together and stuff, but I'd never seen him play with Charlie. And it was. It was really cool. Um, yeah, I think from Charlie know. Hunter is like. If you're not paying attention, you can kind of overlook how just virtuosic that man is. It's playing bass and guitar at the same time, you know, bass lines and chords and soloing over top of it and being right in the pocket and totally interacting with the band. I mean, he's freak show virtuoso. It really could just be his happiness. Like, he's so smiley while he's doing it, it makes it look like it's no big deal. Yeah. And yeah, I I felt the exact same way. I was like, wow, this is just incredible. But it it was, that was a good hang for sure. Um, Okay, so let's get into Nam. Oh, Mm -hmm. by the way, Ryan Halsey, great intro. Thank you. 
Yeah, that song is uh, by Ryan Halsey's band called The Gravity Drive. So if you want to check them out on Facebook, Twitter, Spotify, it's The Gravity Drive, two words. That song is called Wake of the Dawn. Um, he says he recorded this at Middle Farm Studio in England, which is where Matt Halpert and Alex Rudinger have recorded. Pretty nice. cool. Dig it. Ryan's a good dude. He's been a, a student for a long time, and I got to see him in person when I did the clinic in Bath, England, and we got to hang for a little bit. Really good dude and very, very good drummer. So thank you for your intro beat, Ryan. Everyone out there, if you want to be featured on our intro and outro, just send those in to Mike at, well, to Modern Drummer, but uh, mdinfo at moderndrummer.com, right? Yep, and please include a link to download it because the attachments are not always transferring over. Perfect. Okay, so NAM 2019, let's just go big picture. How did you feel that the show overall was? Was it the exact same as you've always experienced? Was no. it a drop off? Was it a bump up? Uh, okay, we've had a lot of talks about this with people here and people have been to the show a bunch. I saw this year as a major philosophical turning point for NAM, the organization itself. It did oh. not seem like an exclusive event. This was a full-on three-ring circus. Come, everyone, bring your kids, bring your dogs, bring your moms, bring yeah. your dads, and just have your way with the entire music industry all right, at once. Right. Which I can understand if the industry needs just energy and momentum. Cool. So I think for an attendee, it might have been one of the most kind of exciting and and dynamic shows. For a dealer or a, an exhibitor, it might have been the most frustrating show of all time because yeah. almost no one was there to actually buy anything. It was just literally a shopping mall of people walking around. Right. So for me, it was really hard for me to do any kind of reporting. In fact, I just called an audible on the first day and said, heck with it, I'm not going to post anything online during the show. There was just too much. Like I couldn't get into the booths to actually look at product most of the right. day. It was just so many yeah. people. So I agree. And I, I was only there Thursday and Friday and still felt a little bit of that. I yeah. can't imagine what Saturday and Sunday was like. It was just, yeah, just mass chaos. So then, so it's kind of like I can see the strategies. The companies that are well established are thinking, okay, do we go upstairs? Do we get a private room, make it appointment only? It's just our dealers. And that's working for, I think, for companies that don't need the just general exposure and, and excitement. Right. Then the companies on the floor, it's like, you know, throw your hat in the ring and just hope someone comes over and checks out your stuff. Yeah, I think that it's going to change and it'll be led by things like CES. I mean, they're already doing it right now. Like you're going to have major manufacturers not release things at NAM, but everyone everyone in the world can come by their booth, but if I was if I was one of these companies, I'd have all of my major dealers come in to my factory a week before or a week after and be like, this is the 2019 product. You can order it now. You can hear it now. There's no chaos. And then when we go to NAM, that's our chance to get 600,000 Instagram images of mm -hmm. our product out to the world because it's free publicity. And I, I fully understand that. Uh, but... Yeah, I mean, even Meinl released the Foundry Reserve series, which was upstairs, and I still had a hard time hearing it. And they had their own private room upstairs. Yeah. And yeah. it's still like, okay, well, one, it's in this room. Even if I was by myself in this room, this room sounds nothing like a normal drum room. Yeah. So it's already got that. But then I'm literally tapping a ride that was 
supposedly like you know the the grail of symbols made by the symbol smith of all symbol smiths and as i'm tapping it some guy hits a 46 inch china right next to my head <laughs> i'm just like oh well, all right well uh and then everyone's like what do you think about the foundry reserves i'm like i I remember them sounding kind of trashy, like a China. <laughs> the real no, that's pretty. a guy that hit one. <laughs> the real yeah, pretty. I can't, yeah, exactly. So I think that, but I also think that it's important to have that buzz of just people going around going like, oh my gosh, this is what I've always heard about. So I, I would be fine with Nam becoming more open to the public as long as everyone understands what's going on, which is, well, then you're going to have to, you're almost going to have to create your own underground NAM to do business. But trying to do business is really hard to do at NAM. I would I would have a hard time being justifying the expense if I had my own small company and didn't have major marketing dollars to just say, okay, this so many thousands of dollars is just marketing. There's no return on it. That's right. really tough for me to kind of so, justify. I just want to make sure that our listeners that have never attended NAM or really don't even know what it is know the purpose of NAM is not what you see online. That is the exact opposite of the purpose. The purpose of NAM is for companies that make products to show new products and then people that own drum shops to walk around and place orders. So when we say buy stuff, we don't mean you actually go to the booth and buy it with cash and leave. It's not a store. You place your orders for 2019 or the the upcoming year. And that's what NAM is supposed to be. Like, well, we we release this new hardware and then the manager from Bob's Drum Shop walks by and says, okay, I'll take 50 of those stands and 40 of Mm -hmm. these. And that's the whole point of NAM. And then... There should be two other groups of people there. Mike Dawson, which would be I'm gathering information for the media, for actual media. And then me, if I, I should be there standing next to the product that I represent. Mm-hmm. What happens is we all start roaming around yep. and then they let in a couple hundred thousand other people <laughs> and it just turns into chaos. So I'm totally okay with going with the flow. I get it. I mean, now, is Sunday still the only day that's open to the public? No. No, they were okay. selling tickets for the whole weekend. Again, oh, really? I, felt, I don't want to sound like a hater. I think it's what we have to do to keep the industry vibrant. You need oh, I to just, completely agree. So, I mean, anything that just gets people out of their houses in, in the group, I think, is cool for, for music and art. Right. But I think the whole industry, you know, at least we had to rethink, well, what are we doing there? We're not going right. to. I didn't want to be just another Instagram feed littered with cell phone photos. So I just didn't do it. I didn't post a single thing. Like everyone's doing that. Everyone's already sick of it by Thursday afternoon. So what we used to provide five, six years ago, which was that exclusivity of early content, gone. I mean, Zildjian released all their stuff two days before NAM. So there is there was no. I mean, there was already there's already videos up on their YouTube channel. There's no scoop. Yeah, I, I actually brought my full camera gear my vlogging setup and everything to there i drove myself to the airport because i was only going to be gone a day and a half drove to the airport got to the airport pulled into my parking space and looked at my camera gear sitting on my passenger seat and i was like i just i just don't care i just don't want to be another camera at nam yeah and i just tucked it all into the trunk and I, i didn't bring anything with me because for that exact same reason so i do think that like you said the the turning point and the new philosophy of nam as an entity and the thing i think it's good because if you can get a hundred thousand or two hundred thousand or how many people show up over the course of the four days if you can get those human beings excited about analog music about touching guitar strings and hitting a drum and seeing a a bass and plugging in an amp that is fantastic we need that so bad right now so i'm fully down for that 
it's just you can't also think that you're going to get legit business done while that's happening. It's yeah. just too much. Like you said, it's too much of a circus. So yeah, totally. there has to be – I think all the companies will have to rethink this. But what I really hope is I hope they don't think, well, then we're not going to do NAM at all and we're going to do something else. It's like, no, you need to do something else and NAM because you still need all those people walking around and giving you free pl- publicity through taking pictures of your product. Yeah, um, totally. I think. So I mean, it, it will change over the next couple of years. But I would say on that level as a whole, I felt it, it. the one thing I didn't feel leaving, which I have felt in years past, was I didn't feel sad for our industry. No, yeah, I think last year might have been the down point for that. Just, just vibe overall. Vibe. I got bad vibes from because I didn't go last year, and everyone was like, "Oh, they moved the drums to a new hall, and it was way too loud." Mm -hmm. And everyone was just complaining about Nam last year, and that that's why I didn't want to go this year. But I was really happy I did. I thought. I obviously was not there on the weekend, so I don't know how insane the volume got. But Thursday and Friday, it was manageable. Um, yeah, no, it was loud. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just—I know it's cold on the East Coast. I'm trying to bring some sunshine to everybody's world. <laughs> no, but it was cool. Good. I mean, yeah. but again, that energy I think is really important right now, and and it was just kind of cool to for me to actually spend face-to-face time with the with the people that I, I deal with on an email level only for all year long. So just to right. just spend 10 minutes with a manufacturer and just talk about whatever, I think was just as valuable as me going around snapping photos of every new widget. No, I, I, I completely agree. All right, now getting into NAM itself, uh, talking about new products, I wanted to let you guys in on something that there's just no way you would know what happens, and that is that I had a one-hour cowbell meeting. I did not know that you could have a one-hour cowbell meeting. Now, this is about a cowbell that I have approved already. Like, I have said, yeah, I'm good. I love this thing. Let's make it. So, to me, the meeting would have been like, are you sure you're good? Then I say yes, and then we say meeting adjourned. Holy hell, I had no idea how deep this stuff was. Especially with small goods. When we made the transition ride, it was very deep, but it was always in, it wasn't meetings. It was like emails and then video chats, but little chunks at a time. The The thing with a symbol is you make the symbol as long as the artist is happy or the company's happy, and then you ship it out. And that's it. Mm-hmm. I didn't know about small goods and packaging. Mm. Oh, packaging. They were like, you yeah. want this in a box? I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> okay, well, if it's in a box, think of where this will go in a music store. But if it's in a little bag with a little card on it, then it can go on a slat wall. Uh-huh. Okay, uh, put it on a slat wall. Okay, do you want the bag that it's in to be clear so people can see the cowbell? <laughs> well, I, I, you know, and it's just like hitting me. I'm like, oh my gosh. I don't know. How about <laughs> this? Just put the bell out. <laughs> just throw it on the floor. <laughs> Dude. <laughs> Here's where it really got hairy for me. What do you want the bullet points to be on the packaging? Oh, goodness. Like, bu- uh, sounds like cowbell? <laughs> like, that's the bullet no. point. <laughs> yeah. Like, uh, so, so it was really in-depth. And then we had to go through. You wouldn't believe how long it took. And I was really impressed with this. I mean, I'm, I was dealing with Udo Hoybeck uh, mm-hmm. from mm-hmm. Meinl, Germany. Norbert, so my rep in Germany. And then Mitch the head of Minel USA and Chris Brewer, my A&R for Minel USA. So it was five of us and it, and they were very serious about this stuff. Like, okay, what about your name? I'm like, well, can you put it on the bottom? Didn't even occur to me 
what's the bottom of a cowbell? <laughs> it's like, I, I can't count on the fact that you are going to put it one way or the other on your drum set. So it's like, okay. Then we had to decide, well, the cowbell mount is slightly angled, so we think most drummers will consider this to be the top of the cowbell. Okay, I want my name on the side. I want it as small as possible. Uh-huh. Okay, do you want it on the drummer's inner thigh or on the outside of them? I'm like, I don't want them to see my name. So we had to decide it's on the outside of the drummer's leg. That's where the tiniest little signature shows up. Because uh, my, my first thought was, can you put it on the inside? Yeah. And they're like, no, we can't, we can't get in there with yeah. our machine. I was like, ah, that's too bad. <laughs> so anyways, I mean, going through stuff like that and then trying to... Now, here's something that no one would even think you would have to deal with. And I can tell you, as somebody that's been in this industry for a long time, it didn't occur to me. Who gets the cowbell? Is it minor percussion or minor cymbals? Because they're very different promotional teams, different artist reps, different everything. And uh-huh. it's like, well, you're not a percussion artist. You're a drum set player. You are, we, you've only worked with this team of individuals. Do we get to promote your cowbell? And is it, does it show up on minelsymbols.com or does it so, show up on minelpercussion.com or That's does it show up on both? Confusing. It was a lot to think about. And then it was like, okay, if, if it's minor percussion, then we give it to this team and that's your A&R and that's your promotion mm-hmm. team. And it's like, holy crap. And so my thought was, no, this is very much so not an answer to the Latin percussion community. You guys already make that stuff. This is the answer to the person that literally knows not, doesn't even know that world exists, but has a couple wedding gigs that require a couple funky cowbell hits, you know? Oh, and yeah. It, I w- we were trying to create a cowbell that lives in between that straight-ahead 80s rock quarter note cowbell and the full-blown, you know, gone bop, legit cowbell. Mm-hmm. Somewhere in between, like... Um, and, and so that was the goal with this thing. So, But then, like I said, where do you put it? Is it minor percussion or is it minor cymbals? Uh, so, yeah, it was, it was a very interesting meeting, and I... I wouldn't have imagined a cowbell meeting could be that deep, but it was a, it was really cool. I, I honestly learned a lot about just the business of the drum industry while dealing with small goods, which I've never done before. Yeah, I mean that's it's interesting. I mean it makes sense for if you have a symbol already out, they should use the same marketing direction with a cowbell. But it does kind of mix the the messages a little bit for the brand. It does, bit. yeah. And so it was definitely something to think about. And we ended up in the end deciding, okay, this is a Minel Symbols product. I'm a Minel Symbols artist. Mm-hmm. Uh, this isn't the beginning of something. Like, I, it's not, let's start with Cowbell and then I come out with my own tambourine. And then I, you know, it's not oh, the yeah. beginning of anything. This is the end of it. Uh, but it's just. Can, uh, we, can we mark you on that? <laughs> <laughs> Trust me, dude. I'm going to be a Pandero coming out here shortly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hey, how's it going? So I rented a DVD about Brazil and I feel like I can make some pretty legit products. Products now, <laughs> no, no, it's not going to be that. This was the answer to like the the gigging drummer cowbell, mm. which it's like okay, no, I'm actually quite qualified for that. I'm the guy that I really, I mean, I've studied the best, just like you have. I've studied the best I can when it comes to legit Afro-Cuban music, but it's still not through going there. It's through books, DVDs, watching concert footage, yep. doing the best I can. So I have no. I'm not qualified to make those calls or try to say this is the cowbell for this genre of music. This is like, you know, I play rock, pop, a little bit of funk. What cowbell should I buy? Yeah. This is at least my my best attempt at that. So, so anyway, so that was that was a lot of fun, man. What now? Let's talk about products. Was there yeah. anything that stuck out to you? <clears throat> okay, so I usually have two plans of attack with Nam, where I go try to check out the major companies and see what is going to be 
the bulk of their push for the year, but then I really okay. try to dig around and find some smaller companies that I've never seen before that, that I can share. I feel like that's kind of the where I can kind of really contribute something is like maybe you didn't know this company existed you should check them out but okay so from the bigger side uh, I'm pretty curious to check out Yamaha's Oak Hybrid series that was beautiful it's got um, I don't remember the substance but it has some sort of uh, resin in the center of the shell so it's oak with some sort of synthetic resin I can't remember what it is but if it pops up I'll I'll mention it but that was really intriguing so I've never seen that combination Um, what else was there they also have new pedals that are I totally forget that Yamaha is a gigantic corporation that owns a lot of stuff (laughs) like motorcycles and jet skis (laughs) so they borrowed some of the look and concept from their motorcycle world and put it into their new bass drum pedal which was kind of neat like the beater looks like a tire and there's some of the blue parts that you see on motorcycles and stuff wow pretty neat surprised I didn't see that yeah, well, the problem with Yamaha is they're in the Marriott, so you have to leave the main yeah, hall. Yeah, I, I did go over there, but I got screwed over by the fact that I thought I heard one of my favorite Wolfpack songs on the radio and then realized, oh, that's the singer of Wolfpack playing a keyboard <laughs> to eight people. I ran over there, completely ignored the entire booth, and just stared at him playing one of my favorite songs that James Gadsden played drums on. And I was like, oh, my God, there's a drum set behind him. I could just jump on stage right now and just, I know this song. So, yeah, I went to the Booth, and then I was hornswoggled by the fact that they had an awesome artist <laughs> playing a song. So, bad move, Yamaha. Oh, man. Also, in hardware, uh, this might have been overlooked. Uh, Sonar re- revamped the Perfect Balance pedal. So, yep. that I'm curious to check out. Just maybe, I think they just basically simplified some of the features to make it just a little bit yeah. easier. Yeah. You know, uh, JoJo talked a lot about that during the UK drum show because he was playing it and he was kind of showing it to the crowd and and, um, I I thought it was cool that they didn't abandon it they just said okay now that you've you know this has been on the market for a few years what could be better about it there was oh this is this is a company that I was excited to check out Solid Drums out of Switzerland they he is making stave shell drums using wood that is locally sourced near his factory in Switzerland Okay. Uh, he had some beach drums there that were like the they were just amazing. A twelve. They were the beach. Yeah, they were the beach. So <laughs> really beautiful stuff. There was one. There were a few that really caught my eye that had like a gold diamond inlay or something like that. It was a maple shell with a gold leaf diamond inlay. Just really really gorgeous stuff. So dang solid drums. They kind of caught my eye. Um, there were a couple weird things there. Um, oh. Amidia Symbols now has their low-volume version. So it's got oh, a bunch really? of holes in it, but they're using their really high-end Comagene-style cymbal. So it sounds like a real cymbal. You could definitely gig with them, like low-volume wow. situations. Okay. That was cool. I'm glad to see that you know other companies are, are doing their take on that. That's not just for practice or rehearsal. Right. Um, what else? There was... Oh, A&F, I love that they set their booth up kind of like a garage sale. There's just stuff everywhere. It was pretty rad. rad. Yeah, I mean, my biggest takeaway gear-wise on a whole was that the boutique companies that I was so scared would have gone out of business by now were thriving and doing great. To see A&F... Tackle instrument, low boy beaters, big fat snare drum, all just doing well, and the vibe was good. Mm-hmm. That was that was rad. Um, 
you know that I, I I really thought that was pretty incredible. And those A and F bell snares, the steel, yeah, so the brass, and the bronze. <laughs> so yeah, heavy. they're no joke, man. Uh, the uh, and what was the the forty two inch bass drum? The yeah. Forty something. Yeah, that was, was pretty crazy. Yeah, sounded like a bass drum. I mean, it's at NAMM, so I you know. But uh, they're 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 doing great. I mean, they they did what I assumed they would do. They expanded. They brought out some new stuff, but they just stayed true to who they are, which was rad. Yeah, those those they're not they're not cast shell. They're rolled they're rolled shell, but they're really thick. So it's like the same thickness as like a bell brass snare, but it's their take on it. Which I asked Rami right. like how how easy is it to roll like three millimeter bronze? <laughs> yeah. he, he said, yeah, it's really freaking tough. I think he said it took eight imagine. hours to roll one shell. Oh my gosh! Yeah. That's pretty That'll nuts. keep the cost down. Yeah, right. So that's that's <laughs> why they're very expensive. Um, along the same lines, the um, Dynamics, which is the Black Swamp uh, yep. snare drum line, they had one of those Titan Bronze there that you were ogling, and he he said he might be making one for you to check out. Shut the front door. <laughs> I would be totally okay with that. So in, uh, totally in okay with that. Eric, the you know the main builder there, he he did some hand engraving on some of their uh, snare drums, like old Black Beauty style. It's just gorgeous. Oh, that's awesome! Yeah, so there's a lot of you know a lot of little details like that. Um, ProLogics, uh, they had like a practice, like mm. a, a nice little practice setup with a with a bass drum practice pad. I was, I was digging that, and I love too that they've already instead of trying to completely reinvent the wheel, they're saying, "Look, you probably already own the DW Go Anywhere practice kit. We're not. We get it. You have it." Use the hardware for that and replace the pads with these. Mm-hmm. You know, like they're, the threads on the bottom go right on that DW Go Anywhere um, practice pad kit. But I, I got to say, I, I was really impressed with that bass drum um, and the the swappable inserts for the bass drum yeah. practice pedal. I'm not a fan of upside down beaters. There's yeah. something very non natural about them. But if that's the situation we're in, I actually thought that was really cool. I, I, it felt good when I played it. It's such a weird thing to sit down at a NAM booth and play practice pads <laughs> so because everyone <laughs> gathers around to hear you rip, you know? And I'm like, I, I have no idea what I'm, I can't even hear myself. I don't, this is all muscle memory. Don't know what I'm doing. Super um, appropriate. I mean, so that, that practice pad is similar to like the Roland trigger pedals. So it's like yeah, a little of block of wood, and it's aiming away from you. I I like that design because it makes it much more portable than trying to carry around this totally. tower of a bass drum practice pad. Agreed. Yeah, I think it, it serves a purpose for sure. Now, there's but a, it actually felt good. There's a company that really knocked me out. I have no idea how to pronounce it. It's Shaw Girl. Shaw Shaw Girl. Take your time, buddy. S C H A G R L. I believe they're from Austria. They are a company that makes really high-end brass instruments like horns and stuff. Okay. Now they're making drums, and they've kind of a, you know adopted that same high-end, super high-quality. You know the patinas are gorgeous, so they're doing full. Tell me the spell it for me one more time. S C H A G E R L. I don't. Oh my don't god! Know you did. You did great pronouncing that. Shogger. Shogger. How do you say that? I have no idea. I Anybody in Austria that. can help me out here. Um, okay, I'm checking out their drums right now. It's uh, I did not get a chance to see them. Were they in the drum booth area? They the were in like the, the back, kind of back against the Holy wall. Holy hell! There was a there was a brass snare on the kit they had there. That was as soon as I hit it, I was like, "That is the drum." 
of all drums. Oh man. Yeah. They're like oh, two piece. Sorry. I think they're like two yeah. piece shells. I mean, it's gorgeous stuff. Sorry, drum industry. Uh, <laughs> wow. These guys know what they're doing. This is a, uh, I mean, it's so rad. It's all based off pictures. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like these are amazing. Um, but they wow. are gorgeous. And, and the, the sounds, they live up to the looks. It, I, once he told me the story that they make like symphonic quality brass instruments. I'm like, okay, these aren't going to suck. <laughs> and they definitely don't. Yeah, these are beautiful. Definitely. Uh, you can check out, uh, yeah, shawgirl.com. <laughs> We're so just butchering that. Slash drums. They're uh, all on Instagram, too. Cool. I, I know I've seen, like, one of the snares is called the Persephone. And it's just yeah. it's just amazing. Just gorgeous. That's actually the drum that I'm looking at right now. And they offer it in different sizes, too. You can get five by... Oh, thank you, Shawgirl. 14 by five, 14 by six and a half, and the new 14 by eight. Because it's a 14-inch drum. Um, okay, so I got to tell you, there was one standout company that I had never heard of. Um, and I, so I don't know how brand new they are. Maybe you know a little bit about them. But I was completely blown away by them. And it was uh, a company called Nordic Shells. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So kind of like a customized version of old of Keller. You yeah. Know? yeah, they've been uh, they supplying make the shells. Uh, I definitely I don't know if I should say who I know they've been supplying right. some of the small companies that I I know their drums very well and the shells are great man I was just blown away and they'll cut so you so this is if you wanted to build your own drum and you wanted some exotic shells to do it with instead of just the standard maple or birch Keller shells which are great shells um these uh, this is the way to do it and uh yeah i was blown away by the quality of everything and just the options i i I was there with lou and i was like lou you want to build a drum together like this looks amazing (laughs) um and they will cut the bearing edges for you so they'll do whatever you need to be done but uh i haven't checked out the prices yet but that was definitely the one that when i stopped by their booth i just thought okay i have no affiliation with these people whatsoever yeah this is just cool stuff um yeah they don't like i think they're releasing different kind of blends of shell every couple of weeks yep. so you got all your standard and exotics but then they're also mixing different species it's pretty exciting and we're going to see their shell showing up on a lot of drums here soon yeah, really cool stuff. So I'm actually talking to the owner now about just getting something in here for our students to check out so that they could see, like, hey, you could make this on your own. You know, I don't really know what happens after you get the shell. Like, do you then, I mean, I'm assuming then you start ordering, you know, like World Max parts for it? Or, <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Well, I mean, uh, eventually it seems like you're going to have to put in your own work, and that well, just yeah, what I, not my thing. When I bought a Von Craft shell years ago, I just sent it to a company and said, "Use this shell, build me a drum the way you build it." Oh, really? It. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Nice. Oh, I finally got to meet uh, Bruce Hagwood, which was awesome. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. What a RBH. nice guy, man. Yeah. Um, so unassuming and such a badass at the same time. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and very honest. I was like, man, this kid is gorgeous. And he did, the first thing he said was like, yeah, it's a lot of work. I was like, okay. Because right. that was his full dress where he hand cuts inlays out of the... Yeah. Yeah it's, yeah. yeah, it's crazy. It was amazing, though. I mean, there were there were some drums there that really blew me away with like, okay, I am at Nam, and his kit was one of them. I'm at Nam, but dang, I can actually feel 
the warmth of this drum mm. it's all almost like well since I can't use my ears I'm gonna have to use my body and it's like okay that didn't feel like hitting a normal 16 inch floor tom yeah. something just happened there that's beautiful I had that happen with that and then there was a wood A&F kit I felt the same about yeah. um Unfortunately, you know, some of the bigger companies, which all I thought displayed really well this year, their stuff is set up very showroomish, purposely yeah. so that people don't play their kids. Yeah, they don't want anyone hitting anything, and I totally respect that. Ludwig, don't, yeah. don't play their stuff. It's like... It's I told, not yeah. to be played. It's funny. I don't even pull out my one stick at the Ludwig booth. I just use my <laughs> finger and tap the drums. I'm like, very responsive. You know, and that's that's it. Uh, I thought Ludwig had a good showing this year. You know, they always have, I would say for a long time, when because I didn't go last year. So for the last six years leading up to last year, I don't know what it was about the way you see their booth as you're entering the drum hall. Because it used to be on the corner, mm-hmm. like right when you're entering the drum hall. But it was always such a spectacle of things that don't represent Ludwig to me. It was like, here's yeah. a 46-piece chrome yeah. kit. Yeah, I'm like, huh? Like, okay, I just walk right past it. <laughs> yeah. This year I felt like, yeah, this is what Ludwig is. Yeah. This is what I'm talking about. Like, yeah, I feel like there's a bit of a rejuvenation with Ludwig on their legacy. Like, we are Ludwig. Mm-hmm. This is what we're known for. Classy, classic you know, all-purpose kind of drums rather than the huge outlandish stuff, crazy finishes. And, I mean, I think it's important to let remind people, like, hey, what you think is the hippest thing in 2019, we did that almost 100 years ago. Right. So (laughs) just a heads up. Like, not trying to steal all your thunder, but we did do that. Uh, And I I don't see anything wrong with that. I've, I've been begging for, you know, Gretchen Ludwig to capitalize on that for a long time because... You know, it, I mean, what are we talking about here? Whether it's the craziest custom build ever or just uh, a Ludwig Acrylite, we're talking about a cylinder with a membrane stretched across the top. Yeah. Exactly. I, it doesn't need the, a ton of innovation. Yeah. Sometimes it's just like, man, just do it really well. So, yeah, I thought, I thought it was overall good. Any gadgets that stood out to you? Um, yeah. Um, well, let's go into electronic world. Um, oh, okay. Which is kind of gadgets. Roland has the new TM1, which I was hoping, because it's a stomp box, and I was hoping they'd answered my wishes from a couple weeks ago where it would be an effects processor plus a trigger module. It's not that. It's essentially a foot pedal version of their TM2. So it's two two trigger inputs with some sounds in it, but you can change the patches with foot pedals, with foot switches, which I think is brilliant, so you don't have to reach over and push any buttons. Um... But the other advantage, which I think is really cool, is you can assign those switches to be different things. And one that'd be really valuable is it can be a mute button. So you can turn on and off the triggered sounds in mid-song if you need to, which I think could be really gotcha. effective for bumping up the, the the intensity during the chorus by throwing on some samples and things like that. So that was and really neat. Taking it off during the verse. Yeah, exactly. You can load drone sounds into it. So that's cool. Um, they also released some software that includes all of their classic drum machines and things, which is really neat. Oh, nice. So you can get the, the 808 plus some extra features, the 909 plus some extra features like from Roland directly. Um, they have, they're calling it the Roland Cloud, which is neat. Um, Alesis, they put out their Strike Pad, okay. which is their answer to the SPD-SX. Oh, um, got it. It is a major bump up for Alesis. I mean, really? I, think it, I think it has 60 gigs of memory. It oh, comes dang. With I just like, pulled this thing up. This thing looks amazing. Yeah. Like, 
I think 30,000 samples in it already <laughs> preloaded. Did you say 30,000? <laughs> yeah. And I know, I mean, John Emmerich was kind of the mastermind behind this. I've worked with John directly on sample libraries and things. I know how detailed and accurate his samples are. And a lot of his samples, like timpani and chimes, and are like in this pad. So it's like the real deal stuff. Wow. Yeah, so that I think is going to be a game changer for people who want a professional a, quality multi-pad. Yeah, it's a good-looking multi-pad, yeah. too. You can um, you know, assign the lights to different colors for you know whatever you want. If you want your loops to be a certain color, you want your one-shots to see all that stuff where people currently are using like colored tape to like label their sample pads. Yeah, it looks like there's LED lights right underneath each each trigger pad. Yeah, it's um, pretty insane. So that that's I'm, 700 bucks. I mean, yeah. that's not bad at all. That's going to be. Um, we'll see what happens with durability. That's always been my issue with the Lisa stuff. It's just durability. This sure. just playing it a little bit and feeling it. It it is a definitely a major step up in quality from them. So we'll see. We'll see how many Roland users might be switching over to this eventually. Um, so that was big. Uh, I checked out Six Four Audio. Their in ears. Hmm. So they they had a bunch of uh, they had a setup where you could swap in all their different in ears and try them out which was really neat to kind of hear you know wow. what does their eight driver sound like versus the six driver um, i really liked the nate the n8 which was made i think for nathan east the bass player okay sounded amazing the low end when i put them in i think i'd listen to a bruno mars song and when the sub bass kicked in i literally thought someone at the booth over turned on a subwoofer like really? I could feel it in my entire body. Like it just shook. Wow. But it wasn't like an overwhelmingly subby. It was just I just felt it. Yeah. It was really cool. That's another one of those companies that five, six years ago I would have been like, eh, I don't know if they can hold on through this yeah, they through have. this industry. Yeah, you know, and they have help. and they've just completely excelled. Um uh alternate mode, which is the um, the company that makes all the mallet cat and drum cat stuff. They created versions using um, that fabric stuff, kind of like the the Keith McMillan bop pad and stuff. So there's okay. so he can assign zones on this fabric rather than having to have plastic separating trigger sections. So it looks like a drum cat, but there's no you can hit anywhere on it. There's nothing to like every spot can trigger something, which wow. is pretty neat. And it's it's you know more compact. And they had some other stuff that. It, for the crazy stuff I'm getting into, it was really inspiring. Things that I'd never, you know, things I wish the Mandala drum would do that it doesn't do. So right. if you're into experimental electronic instruments, check out the new Cat stuff. Um, they've kind of, because the Drum Cat is legendary, but it's a big, clunky piece. Yeah. The new Drum Cat is super compact, and there's none of the like little plastic bits that you can just accidentally hit, <laughs> you know, and not trigger something. Right. Um, so that's electronics. There's a lot more, um, but those kind of stuck out. I thought the the best marketing strategy for the show was Alpine, the earplug company. They mailed me one earplug and then said, what? come get your second earplug at NAM." No way. That's awesome. <laughs> it was brilliant. <laughs> brilliant. That is That just ties into our humanity where it's like, I, I have to find this. Yeah, I mean, I can't just have one earplug. <laughs> yeah, this is, I have to go there. That's awesome. Was it a good earplug? Yeah, I mean, I use, are I've used good? Alpine stuff forever. It's, it's like my go-to okay. general, like going to concerts or playing louder shows. It's a, you know, it's a, it's a rubber uh, earplug. 
Okay. Yeah, so cool. they sent me one like the week ahead of time with a, a personalized note that said, come get your second earplug at the Alpine booth. <laughs> I love that. That's <laughs> awesome. Cool. Yeah, I mean, there's so many other things we'll have to kind of like keep revisiting as, you know, as the year goes on, but it was nice. Nice. Uh, Sultone yeah, has some crap. Yeah, it's like I'd go down the line. All right, Elephant in the Room, Sabian logo. Let's go Wait into a it. Let's go You're into it. You're going there? <laughs> you know I could have brought this up at the beginning of the show, but I was like, I don't want to put you in a weird well, position. Let me, let me if, if anyone listening hasn't seen it, which you probably have, because I think they achieved their goal, which is to have everyone in the entire drum industry talking about Sabian. They've completely rebranded, and their logo is completely different. Um, the general first impression from everyone was, huh? Like, Why? Why change it? Right. As the weekend progressed for me, I started to see, okay, signage, and you know, as a video overlay, it looks really good. So if that's what they were thinking of, what's our signage going to be, and how's it going to look as a lower left corner video overlay, looks great. I don't know how well it screens on symbols, so maybe they're not going to screen it on every symbol model. I don't right. know. It's a big kind of wide logo with a thin font that I that uh, my impression is it didn't look great on the symbol itself but right. I don't know if that's the priority at this point well my thought was this one I don't really you know how can any of us predict style so even though the reaction to the logo itself or the font was negative three years from now that could be the hippest thing in the world so I really don't care about a new logo yeah my question would be why did you need a new logo so what made me happy about it and because it was so easy to talk crap about especially with their tagline most don't get it it's like you just gave the entire NAM (laughs) floor the line they're going to use against you everyone here is the coolest person on earth yeah (laughs) yeah so so I whatever I I kind of tried my best to look past that stuff my thought was okay you someone in your company someone at the top of your company realized nobody really knows what you are if you go down the line of like let's call them the top four for now zildjian i think history and class every time mm-hmm. it doesn't even matter if i like their symbols that's just what i think but they have a thing Minel, i think of pushing the boundaries as a big company now obviously the boutique companies push the boundaries much further yeah. but as a big company Minel pushes boundaries and and in this kind of catered towards that uh that boundary pushing artist like a Benny Greb or an Anna Canellis. Then when I think of Peisty, I think Swiss precision, mm-hmm. flawless symbols. And then when I think about Sabian, I don't know what I think. Mm-hmm. So the fact that they are thinking we need to have an identity in this world, because we're not going anywhere. I mean, they're a massive company. I would assume globally, sales wise, they're easily number two. So they're massive, but they're kind of just there, and they've been there for a long time, and we don't really know what they stand for and what they are. So the fact that as a corporation, they're thinking about that, that's a positive to me. Mm. As far as the logo, like I said, the only bummer to me wasn't that I did or didn't like the logo. I don't really care that much about that stuff. It was the size. The size, that precedent has been set by cheaper symbol companies already. Mm, right. The cheaper your symbol, the bigger the logo, the, the more classy, you know, like a Karope, um, mm. you know, or the, the founder, like, it was just coincidence that on this same day, Minel releases the Foundry Reserve, which doesn't have a logo anywhere on it except for the bottom of the symbol. Yeah. And it's still engraved, laser engraved. And then this comes out and it's like, oh man, are you going to put that on Artisan? 
rides and stuff. Yeah. So I don't know that. I, that I don't know. I, I think I it don't was, either. It may be just an initial push. Maybe that someone at Sebring can can weigh in. I didn't I didn't dig in much to see. I mean, if it looked like I mean they had symbols there that didn't have the new logo on it. So maybe it's just for so, the new AAX stuff. I'm not sure. Here's the other thing, it, and it's a it was a Nam booth issue, but. If you're going to release a new logo that's controversial, it doesn't look good to have the old logo right behind it on 200 symbols yeah. on your display. Because then it gives people an A-B, where if you just only had the new logo, it only takes about a day and a half for people to get over their you know, cool kidness and then just be like, <laughs> well, that's just the Sabian logo. So as far as what it was, I think in the end, it'll one, it's not going to be anything that hurts Sabian long term. They're going to be fine. I think the fact that they're thinking about what is our identity, because from what I gathered, which is all Nam Rumorville, they really took some time to think about what's our identity, who are we as a company, what are we doing, which it's like, that's so great. I want you guys to do that. You know, I don't want Sabian to go anywhere. They're an amazing company and they've always, I mean, well, I started on Sabian. So as far as the only thing I would say, and, and like, you and I are not in the Sabian meeting, so we have no idea what their goal was. I unfortunately didn't hear anybody talking about Sabian symbols. I only heard them talking about Sabian's logo and their branding and whatnot. And like you said, maybe their goal was just to get people to talk about Sabian in general. And, uh, I mean, they succeeded. There was, I think it was by far yeah. the most talked about thing at the entire for the entire weekend. By, sure. By sure. far. Yeah. I agree, man. Um, so it... Other than that, I I will say that uh, I never I didn't hear any trash talking throughout the week. You know, as far as like, oh, did you see this? Did you see this? Did you see this guy? This girl? It was all it was all really positive stuff. Um, I was kind of stoked on it. You know, like I said, my my biggest thing was I really hope that the big companies understand that you're making drums and cymbals the same way they've been made for a hundred years you don't need to revolutionize anything right now all you need to do is look at your product and make slight upgrades and slight tweaks mm -hmm. and i felt like when i saw thomas booth sonar's booth ludwig's booth unfortunately didn't see gretch's booth we'll talk about that later <laughs> um but when i saw those booths i kind of felt like yeah these look like sonar drums just and then somebody would say oh and we did this to the spurs or we did this to the throw off and it's like cool mm -hmm. I, I think there's always room for improvement on moving parts yeah yeah that's true yeah throw off you can always I mean? be better simpler right yeah i i remember i still remember the the biggest standout i've ever had in my entire nam experience was the dw maglev throw off mm. uh, there was a like a line of people waiting to turn this thing on and off it was crazy <laughs> it was crazy um but it was like that was a huge breakthrough and, and it was done yeah. really well um and True. really well thought out so i think that I saw that from the big companies, but from the boutique companies that I was so like, oh, God, you're good people doing things the right way. Please stick around somehow in this really tough-to-make-it industry. I just felt that they were thriving. I, yeah. It was awesome to see. Yeah, the energy was great. I mean, there's there's so many companies we didn't get a chance to mention. Pfeiffer Drums is doing really cool stuff. We're going to be reviewing one of his drums soon, so I don't feel bad overlooking him. But he's got offset snares, wires on his drums. That okay. it's very deliberate well, we'll talk more about why the science behind it but you know just just going for cool stuff you know? and he's cool. he's also like mixing i haven't seen anyone do this he went you know chrome hardware on top and then brass tension rods on the bottom just a tiny little detail where it's like wow. all chrome and just like this little burst of brass on the bottom 
super cool. And now he's talking about mixing and matching the tube lugs, some being brass and chrome, and just little details that, that I thought were cool. You know, nice. so that's that's what I leave Nam with that feeling like. Okay, this I found some some energy that kind of pushes through the year. Like everyone is yeah. in a good spot creatively, and I think there's a lot of um, you know just general. I mean, just having all the Instagram drummers in one room was interesting to see. Like, right. all right, this is a new culture. This is a whole new culture. Yeah. This isn't. This didn't exist 15 years ago. This culture. Yeah. Absolutely. Pretty, pretty wild. And yeah, and and it's also it must be what it was like for our heroes when all of a sudden there was it was like what do you mean he teaches drums on the internet? Right. You know, like <laughs> 10 years ago or whatever. <laughs> right. and, and and I remember just it's funny I was thinking about if somebody only if their only public performance, which is not public but is is on Instagram, and they're going to Nam now. They must have felt how I felt, which is like, "Hey, look, I know I teach on the internet. Can you please take me seriously? Like, I I put everything I have into this. <laughs> right. And if there's some guy right now that's working his butt off, or some girl right now that's working her butt off, and making Instagram videos, and that's their thing, and they're getting forty thousand views, like, I agree, they should be taken seriously. If they're putting in the same effort as anyone else, what does it matter what the venue is? Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so yeah, I thought it was really, it was really cool, and. It was just a great chance to meet these people that I only know through Instagram. Got to finally meet Brody Simpson. Finally, oh, meet yeah, me too. Dan yep. Mayo and 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 oh, and, and see Eloy Casagrande and be like, I didn't see him there. No, <laughs> uh, yeah, it was cool. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, uh, seeing those people and meeting them in person for the first time and. I talked to my buddy, um, there's a minor artist that lives here in Sacramento, good friend of mine uh, named Devin Sumner, and we're and he's part of that Instagram crew of drummers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I saw him But he's, it, he's a fantastic drummer. Anyways, yeah. got to talk to him for a little bit and uh, yesterday, and I was just saying how the one thing that really stood out to me was that I, I really didn't encounter any ego. Like, yeah. you know, meet, meeting the most famous Instagram drummer is not like meeting the guy that was you know, in the most famous eighties rock band 20 or 30 years ago, the egos are very different, much more humble. Yeah. So I, yeah. I only encountered great people. Yeah. I feel uh, like the, the community time. is really healthy now. And that's, that's a good thing. We've kind of, I feel like we've moved past the, like I'm established and you're a wannabe like that. That thing right. is, I mean, everyone is just valid in their own way, I think. And that's cool. I mean, there's still, you still, everyone's want to hear some snarky stuff, but I think in general, the community is very healthy and that's right. We couldn't ask for even, I think well, you see that with the companies too. Like the, the guy who just started making drums this year versus the guy who's been making drums for 30 years, everyone just kind of respected one another. I thought in a certain way right. that is new and, and, pleasant finally <laughs> you get to a place where your industry starts cannibalizing itself because everyone is so cool and everyone's too good for each other and it's not healthy and, and where yeah. we're at right now is you know if you own, if you own sticks your family and let's yeah. just you know move past it so good stuff all yeah. right now all right. before you go into your spiel i will tell you that i did stop by the dream booth and i thought that dream uh wasn't as boutique-y as I have thought of them in the past. I actually thought they were 
quite amazing. I it, I don't know. It was just their luck of their location, but their booth was one of the quietest booths I was at throughout the whole. <laughs> and I don't true. mean people. It was like they It was like they just weren't near any drummers. You know yeah. what I mean? Like there wasn't like this influx of kits facing them. Because every booth I would go to, I'd talk to the owner, and they would be so nice and kind. They'd be like, "Check out my drum." And right when my stick would come up in the air, some dude right next to their booth would just go on a full tangent solo. <laughs> And when I went to the Dream booth, there was a bunch of people there, but we were just testing cymbals nicely, and I, I thought their stuff was incredible. So, dig it. Now you can do your spiel. So this episode is sponsored by Dream. This is the last chance for us to uh, let you know about their hang that's happening on February 9th at Fame Studio in Muscle Shoals, Alabama. So if you're in that area, or if you're thinking to take a trip down there, maybe to escape the crazy cold of the Northeast. Um, that's February 9th at uh, Fame Studio at Muscle Shoals, Legendary Studio. Dream, Dream is bringing, uh, I think they said, over 50 symbols. All of it's going to be for purchase afterwards. Scott Pellegrom is going to be there to demo. They're going to be recording everything using um, telefunk and microphones. So it should be a good hang. February 9th, go to uh, Dream Symbols' Facebook page, get more info, go check it out. Let them know we sent you, um, and definitely buy something. All right. Now, before we get into the Q&A for today, I got to tell you something I think will make you happy. I officially put out the word to Bryson Nelson yesterday that I am on the hunt for a vintage round badge kit. Oh, my. (laughs) I do not own any vintage drum sets. Uh, I never have. And so apparently 2012-14, not the most... uh, popular of sizes back in the day so uh and then apparently you go bop bass drum and they just jack up the price six more grand yep no two inches less of a bass drum i mean you're you're literally on the hunt for the most coveted and expensive collector's (laughs) item right now so i'll see you i'll see you yeah Yeah, that's pretty much what bryson told me he's like well they come in from time to time they fetch a hefty princely sum it's like damn all right uh, yikes. Now, here's so, here's uh, a little tidbit, not for you, but for anyone else out there. Jasper shells were also used by Fibes. So if you want the Gretsch sound, get a vintage ooh. Fibes kit, and it's going to be not quite as pricey. <laughs> Damn. Damn you endorsements. <laughs> you know, that's I, I was telling Bryson, the one thing Gretsch cannot do for me is get me a vintage kit. Mm-hmm. Like, they yep. would have to then go buy me a vintage kit. So, uh, so yeah, so I'm on the hunt. I, I, I want one. And because he was like, yeah, I got a great uh, 22, 13, mm-hmm. 16. It seems like that was everywhere. Stop sign those. badge. Yeah, the 80s. Yep. That is the sound, though. That's the Dave Grohl, Vinny yeah. Cayuta, Jeff Percaro sound. Um, that's, totally. But that's not what you're looking for. You want like the old no. 50s style, right? Yep. And so I'm looking for a 50. And he said, he said that one of the more produced outfits in 2012-14 in 50s and 60s Gretsch was a single lug design, like in the middle. Mm. So, um, That's going so, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's not, it's not my jam. <laughs> so I was like, no, no. And because I said, well, then I said, you know what? This isn't going to be my main kit. I already have my main kit. Let's just go with an 18. And he's like, well, that makes it worse. <laughs> and I was like, what? He's like, yeah, bop, like a 50s. And I, you know, you know me being the idiot that I am, I want it like pristine as possible. Yeah. So he's like, okay, if you want a, a 50s pristine Gretsch bop kit, you're probably looking at like seven or eight thousand dollars. And I was like, for what? For three drums? Who made it? Rolex? Oh, man. 
Oh, of course you want that. <laughs> well, by by the end of the conversation, I was like, you know, maybe an old Ludwig is fine, or a Slingerland. What do you got laying around in my sizes? I'm never gonna. I'm not playing a it on Kent. camera. Get yourself a Kent. Yeah, exactly. You got like one of those Japanese pearls. Like, let's just fire one of those off from the 70s or 60s. So we'll see what happens. But all right. Uh, so we've got an right. audio question here from Jordan. Hey, Mike and Mike. My name is Jordan, and I'm from Pittsburgh. My question has to do with keeping track of the one and the number of bars in like a verse or a chorus uh, in music. I often find myself second guessing which bar I'm in in a chorus or a verse or something like that. Um, and I was just wondering what tips and tricks that you guys have found to be helpful in feeling a little more confident. Um, I know that counting is a good thing to practice to make yourself more aware of, of the one and, and where you are in a bar. But I'm just curious if you guys have found anything to be specifically helpful um, or impactful uh, in your feeling more confident. Um, I enjoy the show and keep on keeping on. We got to keep on keeping keep on. Keep on keeping on. Come on. Keep the rubber <laughs> side down. All right. Uh, so first of all, I don't think unless something would be odd, I can't imagine either you or I currently count bars while we're playing, say a, a standard pop tune, right? No, and I think that's the point. You want to internalize that form you, as feel quickly it. as yeah. possible. So feeling phrases and feeling reset points in the music which eventually does become natural, is something you have to realize even exists. When I show drummers that have played for maybe less than two or three years, doesn't matter what age, when I put on any music and start showing them, I want you to count four bars and then just say one out loud, they're shocked at how much, how many times the music starts over right there. Right. Uh, you know, yeah. and, and I'm like, everything is written in four <laughs> bar phrases unless it's up at 120 to 130 BPM, then it'll be eight bar phrases, which will still go by just as fast as the four bar mm-hmm. phrases. So you're going to get used to feeling this. I, I would say besides playing and counting your your bars and starting to feel that I think listening to music and being attentive to the to that four bar phrase and feeling feeling time in chunks of four bar phrases I think is really one of the best practices you can do is you just put on music in your car and you just start counting to four and then start over and and then you'll just start to feel a four bar chunk of time as this single block and I I think that to me came from uh, Billy Ward or Bill Ward no Billy Ward Billy Ward yeah the big time video yep and yeah, I mean, when it when he when he broke down what it was like to count quarter notes in up tempo swing, mm. he's like, "Do you really want to be going one two three four two two three four three two three four four two three four five two three four six two? It's like, why don't you go one two three two three four three And I was like, "Oh yeah, that's way easier." So feeling chunks of time is something that has to be practiced, uh, unless it's unless you just grew up feeling music that way, you know? Yeah, I think of it as as this is how you transition from being the drummer who's focused on the rhythms and the counting and all of that versus the musician who's focused on the piece of music you're trying to play. And so how I get myself out of that headspace is listen to the bass part. Can you internalize what the bass line is? It's probably going to repeat every measure or two measures or four measures. So once you can sing the bass line or the keyboard part or the melody, it's going to guide you. So I kind of anchor myself on that. And I think of like, Think of anyone who's not a musician and they're listening to their favorite song. They still know when to come in and when to change to the chorus because it's just natural. So if you just trust your natural instincts 
and not get focused hyper focused on the ones and zeros of the rhythms and i think right. the other the other part of it is are you trying to play stuff that you don't really understand yet you have to mm-hmm. kind of ask yourself that question if you're trying to play stuff that's beyond your if you can't hear the phrasing or conceptualize the phrasing of what you're doing then you need to go just take it way back you know write it well, out yeah i mean if you're holding on to the edge of a cliff the entire time you're playing a verse how would you be able to keep track of the the bars and the and, yeah. and the phrasing yeah if you just think it's beat to beat to beat rather than yeah, the whole like thing. it's a victory every time you get to a one you're like <laughs> yeah. ah, i'm still here no i'm still here no i'm still here and it's like oh shoot shoot chorus that was close oh, <laughs> that was close i gotta shoot in there um but yeah so I, I i totally agree i think by maybe playing a little bit under your your coolest thing that you can do playing for the song and staying there allows you to listen to the song because even with students are like man it just crept up on me i'm like well were you listening to the song at all or were you just playing paying attention to yourself because sting clearly wrapped up what he had to say you can hear in his voice he's done speaking so even if you didn't know what bar you were on which i don't really know i mean i would have to go back and go yeah i guess it's a 16 bar verse i just you can just hear when it's coming to its its end yeah yeah getting your head Um, out of the drums is probably the biggest thing yeah there we go nice all right next question next question do we have more I don't know. <laughs> okay. I didn't know. I didn't know if you printed anything out. You were just, you're, oh, we were just throwing one in there. Gotcha. Great. I wasn't sure if you had to cut it. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I do have to get going pretty soon. But all right, one uh, more. This one's from Corey. My question is about my 1969 Ludwig Super Classic. The floor tom sounds boingy, so instead of the pitch going down after you strike the head, it goes up. I have a drum dial and a tune bot, and I've tried even pitch on both heads, the bottom head higher and the bottom head lower, and it's still boingy. I'm using a new uh, Remo Coded Ambassador on top and a clear on bottom. What is the trick to fixing this? It says I've used the snare weight M1 as a dampener. Um, I love a full resonant sound. I don't want to kill it by throwing towels or foam inside. I, without knowing the drum, boinginess usually means there's some kind of buildup of high frequencies on the interior. Um, there's a couple tricks I've done. Light grade sandpaper on the inside of the shell to kind of break it if it's lacquered or painted. Something that'll just kind of texturize the inside could help. Um, Ross Garfield, the drum doctor, uh, he recommends putting a strip of foam between lug casings, not mm. so it's not actually touching the heads. So that'll absorb some of that high-frequency stuff you're hearing. Um, if tuning's not an issue, you might be tuning it too high. Yeah. So explore, like, the lowest possible pitch of the drum and see if that gets rid of it. Uh, that's about as far as I can ass- assess. Um, but you also have to keep in mind that that boinginess is probably something only you're hearing. You go five feet in front of your drum, you probably aren't going to hear it. So Right. But try that. Those are my suggestions. There you go. Yeah, and I, I think a lot of the reason why we don't all have just one drum set where we go, this is the best drum set, is because different drums and different kits perform better at different tuning ranges. Mm-hmm. And sometimes, and I've definitely had, I remember having a drum set where where it did its job the best was not where I wanted it to be. And it just mm-hmm. wasn't the drum set for me. And it, this thing was gorgeous. It was, you know, if I had to take a picture of a drum set, this was the one. But unfortunately, it only really did its job at a tuning range that wasn't what I wanted it to do. So I eventually sold it. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, sometimes you just have to find the right drum for you and for what you want your drums to sound like. 
And the other thing to try, a little bit of damping on the bottom head. It's probably the bottom head that's resonating more than you want. So yeah, try that. Or maybe Man. put a coated head on the bottom as well. But that All should right, be well. a great drum. That's I have that kit, and it's that floor tom when it's dialed in right. It's like floor tom, exactly what you want a floor tom <laughs> to sound like. <laughs> Absolutely, floor toms are tough though. When you when you do them wrong, man, they just won't shut up. And yeah. They just go and go. And I and I totally agree. I mean, the easiest thing to do to figure out whether it's top head or bottom head is just place your fingers lightly on the bottom head when it's set up exactly how you're going to play it and hit the drum. Mm-hmm. Did that fix it? Then it's probably the bottom head. Because um, I've definitely put my fingers lightly on the edge of the top head of a floor tom, and it'll still ring way longer than I want it to. Yeah. So that tells me, all right, five moon gels isn't going to fix this. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to need to dampen the bottom head. And I do on my kit right now that's on stage just because I'm – only doing an overhead mic and i have a pretty lame ceiling i've got about 15 eh, maybe less maybe 10 cotton balls are sitting inside my floor tom mm. right now yeah that probably and they just bounce too. up in the air and mm. then they then they land and they shut it down and there's no impact noise so you could just throw some cotton balls in the middle and that'll really shut down that bottom head for you all right that's about it Boom. we got to get out of okay, here okay so to wrap up nam 2019 i think we both felt that it was a really good year but it's a transitional year of, okay, NAM is turning into something that's more of a public showcase than a convention for people to get business done. Mm-hmm. Yep. And it's, it's a balance because I, I think that we need that public showcase. We need people to get excited about analog instruments, uh, and electronic instruments as well, but analog music, making it with an instrument. Mm-hmm. And so I felt that it was really positive for that. And most importantly, I just am really happy that the the newest additions to our industry are clearly going to be in our industry for a long time because they brought in new blood, new vibe. And I'm talking about the manufacturers and there is no doubt in the world that the Ron Danettes, ANFs, Cooper Akutens of the world will push the bigger companies to strive for better stuff. So leveling up always helps in every aspect. Yeah, I agree. It was a good good year for an attendee, good year for the fan of music, the fan of drumming. We'll right. see how the business, you know, goes over the course of the year and we'll report again at the end of the year, see how we ended up, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I can tell you right now that all my NAM predictions were shot to hell. I didn't see anybody put a focus on mid-level kits. No. I did not see No, not really. <laughs> I didn't see it either. Yeah, not I mean, really. But I mean it's there. You know, Yamaha stage it's custom there. is there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, and I, I I don't know if there was a balance between modern and vintage. I feel like the vintage mm-hmm. guys stuck to their guns, you know. Um, and and it's still, and it didn't seem dated to me. I, when I went by Tackle Instrument, I was like, yeah, this stuff's still amazing. I, I love yeah. this stuff. I think, um, I think class kind of became the word of the show. Everyone was trying yeah. to come with some class, like, Agreed. What do you need? What do you need to do to make your thing as classy as possible? And that I felt like everyone delivered, top to bottom. It was great stuff. All right, guys, thanks so much for listening. And it was awesome to meet so many of you guys at Nam. It's it, Mike and I literally still don't. We just can't believe it. It's so cool <laughs> when you guys come up and meet us in person and say that you listen to this because we feel like we're doing this in a vacuum and we feel like uh, yeah. It's just maybe it's one guy at the head of Modern Drummer somewhere is listening to make sure that we don't cuss, and that's it. 
But it's great to meet you all, and we appreciate it. So we will see you guys next week. And that's about it. I feel like, God, that was a good wrap-up. I crushed that. (laughs) Dario is going to send us out with his beat. (laughs) Is this the laziest episode ever? What is the deal? Come on, Jono. All right. And that's it. Whatever. (laughs) (laughs) Do whatever the hell you're going to do today.